Escorted by the formidable Sentinels, Leia, Han, Chewbacca, and 3PO are taken to the subterranean levels of the tower to the Emperor's clone laboratories. Oh, R2, look what they've done to you. I warned you there was going to be trouble. Boy. Leia, Han, it was very foolish for you to come here. I told you that my destiny is not yours. I can see you've really gone off the deep end this time, kid. Looks like being a Jedi was too much for you. Be quiet, Han. There are things far beyond the mind and powers of a space pirate. Things you'll never understand. Hey, wait a minute. I can read a face, farm boy. You've come a long way from the idealistic kid who couldn't wait to get off Tatooine and join the Rebellion. A long way down. Han, take it easy. You don't know what he's been through. Master Luke, Archer says they've erased his main programming. How could you let them? Lord Skywalker, the Master wishes to meet our guests. Of course. Take their weapons. Leia, give me the lightsaber. Not on your life. We're leaving here now, and this time you're coming with us. Ah! Luke, your hand! Yes, they're making me another. A better one. Give me the lightsaber, Leia. Shroom! <laughs> Good! Leia, don't be a fool. I don't know what's happened to you, but get back. Excellent! Strike your brother. Then you'll see what new powers he's won from the dark side of the Force. Welcome to Arc Troopers Unite, the podcast that reads Star Wars comics, arc by arc. I'm your host, Xavier, and as always, I'm joined by my brothers. I'm Zachary. I'm Gabe. Awesome. So for our second episode, we're jumping from the original Marvel Comics era to the Dark Horse Comics era, starting in the 1990s. 1991's Dark Empire. That's how you can tell it's the dark age of comics for sure. And we get that with our color palette as well. Like diving right into it, we have these beautiful watercolors that will be pervasive throughout everything. The style for this whole series. And also right off the bat, our covers. We, we got a good motif going on here with that three vertical stripes uh, shaping that they give us. Usually a big light center, which we start right off with on issue one with all of our classic characters looking very much like where we left off in the movies. Yeah, it looks very uh, Return of the Jedi-esque. It's such a classic cover. I love the giant pillar of flame backlighting Luke. Yeah. It's sick as fuck. The C-3PO looks exactly <laughs> like from one of the posters from the movies. Oh, for sure. Yeah, our <laughs> yeah. cover artist, um, the painter, uh, Dave Dorman, who we'll remember from last last episode, uh, who did the paintings for the covers of the special edition. Do you all have a favorite cover? Ooh, I do, yeah. Mine is four. I think it's... I like the... I think I, I just love the, 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 the Han and Leia vibe. Isn't that four? I'm pretty sure it's yeah, four. Yeah, four is the one where... Yeah. Han and Leia are on, on Nar Shaddaa being pursued by bounty hunters. So we see what the central pillar is, uh, us looking through docking bay doors to see the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. And then we get to see the on the doors themselves, it fades to space, um, where we can see various enemy ships closing in yeah. on them. I do really like that one. I do think it's my favorite. What about you guys? 
I adored five, and I have some some childhood memory of this cover in in some way or form with the the clone of Sidious coming out of his test tube. It's all just so so dark and sinister. It is very very Star Wars with the probe droid or the yeah the probe droids and the Millennium Falcon and Sidious, but it's still like really foreign in the way that it's uh, toned. Yeah, it's very eerie. The purples and the chartreuse green. I'm going to come right out and say it. I think issue one is actually my favorite cover, even though it doesn't highlight any of the cool original designs. I yeah, think it's, um, a, it's a good choice. Because it's I just so number two for me. The one thing, the one thing that bothers me about the first one yeah. is that it's just like, it, it feels like a nice classic right on the nose uh, picture of all our heroes and everything. Nice action cover. Could be cover for a movie or something. But there's just no Leia, and she's not and, uh, any less relevant than you know any of the other side characters like luke is definitely our number one man honestly she's she's definitely more relevant than i mean definitely for the plot of this she's going to be way more important than anyone other than luke yeah Yeah. that's right leia is central to the plot of dark empire yeah so it's just really bizarre not to have her there at all that kind of stands out to me speaking of covers something that's really interesting about when these issues were put out starting in december 1991 and most of the issues were published in 1992 um, out of the six-issue miniseries, Dark Empire, is that, yeah, we have these cool front covers painted, and then the back covers, rather than having some sort of advertisement, as was common, uh, you know, as common for single issues, uh, Dark Horse actually put just a long time ago, dot, 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 as oh, the entire mean. back cover, which is really gutsy, cool move. I feel like um, when these things appeared on the shelves of comic stores, they probably made a big splash. Yeah. Yeah, so how did we get from uh, no Star Wars comics being published to getting this sort of gritty reboot? <laughs> yeah. Gritty 90s reboot of Star Wars media. And the story actually began in 1988 when the writer, Tom Veach, who had been involved in comics, um, you know, he's kind of a bohemian character. He went to art school in New York. He uh, got involved in the countercultural scene there. He, he left to be in a monastery. Um, when he left that, he went to San Francisco and was involved in the underground countercultural scene there before he came back to his home of New England. Wow. Where he is at this point in his life. I'm a big fan of people who spend some time in a monastery and then go back to doing like artistic work. They always do interesting things. Right. And then his collaborator, Cam Kennedy, is a comic book artist. He had been doing a lot of work in Britain on the 2000 AD magazine, you know, the one that contains Judge Dredd. He'd also worked on Rogue Trooper. But most of that stuff's in black and white. So it's really, really stunning when we see Cam Kennedy's color work. Uh, I think this really comes on out onto the comic scene in a big way with Veach's and Kennedy's previous collaboration, which is the light and darkness war. I think generally it's about a, I think it's a Vietnam war veteran who ends up being uh, sucked into like the, the warriors afterlife in Valhalla. Yeah. So in, ad- in addition to the writer, Tom Veach and the artist, Cam Kennedy, 
the lettering was done by Todd Klein, who's actually a big deal in the industry. For example, he did a lot of innovative work in Sandman. Uh, nonetheless, uh, Tom Veach writes a letter to Lucasfilm saying, hey, I'd love to do a Star Wars comic. Here are my ideas. What he wants to do is talk about Jedi during uh, the, the dark time, you know, maybe during the Clone Wars or after. You know, the timeline's a little fuzzy. Lucasfilm says, no, we're, we're saving that part of the timeline for later. We don't want anyone messing, messing with it. But we like the idea of you doing a comic. What if you set it after Return of the Jedi? So they come back with script, uh, you know, ideas and script for that. And everything's going pretty smoothly. Lucasfilm likes it. Um, they're going to publish it through Marvel, but specifically through Marvel's imprint, uh, that is, say, like a subsidiary, uh, Epic. So this is like a period of time where a lot of alternative comics are coming you know, up to the mainstream. We have independent companies like uh, Image Comics and Dark Horse Comics and First Comics and Eclipse Comics. You know, Famously, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were published by just two guys on their own yeah. without a publisher. So this is making a big impact on the comics industry. It's also transitioning into being more just a specialty hobby store where you purchase comics. So both Marvel and DC are putting out comics into this more independent space, even though they're not independent publishers. But like DC has their Vertigo imprint, where you see Sandman and Hellblazer. Uh, and yeah. so Marvel's version of this is Epic. The editor of Epic at that time is Archie Goodwin, who had previously been a writer on the Star Wars series in the 70s. He's all for it, but then there's a change in leadership. The new editor for Epic says, why would we publish Star Wars? There's no Star Wars coming out. Why would you expect this to sell? Yeah. So he totally doesn't get it. Uh, the owner of Dark Horse actually approaches somebody from Lucasfilm at San Diego Comic-Con and says, hey, I heard you got Cam Kennedy doing art for Star Wars. Can we publish it, please? And they say, great, yeah, do it. So Dark Horse gets the Star Wars license, and that's how it happens. It was actually going to be Marvel again, but um, they fumbled the bag. <laughs> So this project got delayed a couple of times because of the complications of the publishers, but it does start to come out in December 1991. And because of the delay, it ends up coming out in the same year as Heir to the Empire, the first of the Bantam novels written by Timothy Zahn. So as a result, Dark Empire doesn't quite play nice with Heir to the Empire, <laughs> yeah. you know, the Thrawn trilogy. It has its own ideas about how things work, but... I think most of the discrepancies are just kind of like waved away in the opening crawl in the first issue. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh yeah, Thrawn attacked like last year and, you know, Leia has twin, uh, Leia and Han have twin children. Uh, we won't be talking about that in this comic. Yeah. Gets mentioned like once or twice. Which is fine. You know, we had like 30, 40 years of, of retconning time since then. So it's, it's <laughs> yeah. It yeah. But I would say both works have a very different vibe to them. All right. So what's the vibe? The vibe is blue in the beginning <laughs> because hyperspace, which I think is, is just a great hyperspace. Uh, I don't think this is the only time that we really show that they're in hyperspace in this comic, oh, okay. if I recall correctly. But it's a really cool way of uh, communicating that. Yeah. All the light going past everybody. So everybody's got the blue hue. We got these mm -hmm. really interesting blue and sepia watercolor washes right off the bat. And so we're not yeah. really making any attempt at being super, I guess, realistic with the coloration. Yeah, it's very stylized. Yeah, it's really heightened. Yeah. We have the, the tie-dye radiating lines from those nodes, which will come back to add, to what, add some dynamic aspects to some panels later on as well. And I guess that's what it is doing here as well. 
Uh, I love getting over here to Coruscant. I, it was so striking to come right off the bat. You see these these watercolors, which is really unexpected, and they just are, are gorgeous. And with this great inking and just amazing ship uh, inks, like the, the wreckage of Star Destroyers and TIE Fighters, Y-Wings, X-Wings, everything floating around are so good. And the Nebulon B frigates as they come in, one of them, and this is pretty hardcore for Star Wars right off the bat. I think it does a lot to set the tone just is detonated on like on entry to the system by impacting wreckage of a star destroyer han even comments that they lost a good frigate crew which is you know gotta be like a hundred people i know we've got some funny numbers kind of aligned with what the crew on a nebulon b actually is but that's a lot of a lot of good people just died and that's just our third main panel yeah, so what's our mission? So it's interesting because the books that Bantam puts out pretty firmly established that after Return of the Jedi, the Rebellion uh, fights inward toward Coruscant, eventually capturing Coruscant, and that becomes their center for administration as the New Republic. It becomes the capital of the New Republic. Here, they're calling Coruscant, they just call it the Imperial City. And I think in a lot of other sources, it also gets called Imperial Center. Um, when it's owned by the Empire. So in between the events of the Thrawn trilogy and this comic, which I guess is supposed to be like a year or a year or so, <laughs> um, somehow Coruscant has been taken back by the Empire. And so the New Republic's been repulsed. And now we have a Imperial civil war raging as different factions, Imperial loyalists, elements of the Imperial fleet, are vying for ultimate control of the galaxy's capital. And uh, the opening crawl establishes that Luke and Lando were in command of a captured Imperial Star Destroyer that the New Republic was using called the Liberator, which crashed onto the surface of the Imperial Center. And so now Han and Leia are mounting a rescue party. Uh, when we get down to the planet, lots of that carnage from all the confusion. They call it a war-torn planet in the opening crawl here. And it really is with so many factions going, not just Imperial sub-factions, but obviously these rebels that are down there. We encounter the, the scrappers that are so so hasty that you have to fend them away from the Falcon as soon as you land because they're already trying to take the whole thing apart. It's that bad. We talked about this last time, but the TIE Crawler, right? We were talking about how there was just a TIE Crawler sitting there in this, like, uh, first first panel of the uh, forces fighting on the Coruscant ground, I guess. But, yeah, you've got this TIE Crawler, as well as these stormtroopers with the dots on their head. Yeah, there's so much detail in these depictions of battles and carnage. Uh, like, tons of wreckage everywhere. It's, it's a disaster. There's, you know, all this greebling on Cam Kennedy's inks. Yeah. So he'll show tons of little finicky details and panels and stuff. A lot of panel lines. And yeah, so the, the TIE crawler, there's a Rex tank with a TIE fighter cockpit here on this battlefield. And there's ton, there's just so many small little details. Like you said, the stormtroopers that have a little orange dot on their helmets, to, uh, presumably to differentiate them from other Imperial factions. Like a yeah, political yeah. never something I would have thought about. Um, when we get to the rebels who are fighting, you know, they've got a whole bunch of different, uh, kit and equipment. Uh, you know, they've got a couple of Ewoks who, with an E-Web, it looks like who signed up. They got a big cannon. 
The e Ewoks do? Yeah, the Ewoks. Yeah, just yeah. Between them? Oh, you, They're in the you, background on a, a couple of pages back. Oh my gosh, you're right. They have a complaced gun. Yeah. Yes, there's a lot of extra designs there. Tie crawler for sure. There's some other big artillery thing on treads coming down at the planet's surface. Yeah. They think that they're going to get inter intercepted by Imperial fighters. Right. And these guys are don't even care about the Millennium Falcon. They're just coming down the surface. And these are a thing of their own. They don't look like really any other Imperial designs. Yeah, that'll be called the I-7 Howl Runner. Oh. Howl Runner actually Howl. being a type of predatory beast that uh hunts in packs so like a wolf type thing um, okay sure in star wars uh lore um yeah we we'll like see more of the hull runner in dark empire too i think oh. gotcha so they're they're introduced for a, a two, two panels here basically in the background and that's it yeah. yeah and we get down and we're introduced to uh properly to these concepts like uh han and leia being a husband and wife duo with twins and a third on the way and leia is a jedi now and she's far sensitive enough to blast apart an atat -AT, effectively guiding her shot as they fly in so she is solidly at that same place that luke was in a new hope when they're trying to escape the death star or when they do successfully escape the death star about halfway through that movie so that that places us you know power scaling wise or at least to give us a sense for what she's up about like we get a direct parallel of the original to work with there which is going to be great in a moment when we introduce luke and show us where he is at yeah you want to talk about that yeah this this next section is just so great we deal with the scavs uh coming up and they've got their their funny hounds which we can bounce back to as we talk about some more designs but we we show once again that leia is gonna use the force in order to try and scramble the minds of these dogs but they get just tossed aside like nothing this shadowy figure comes out looking the exact silhouette of darth vader in the shadows blows apart the kill droids that have been sent in and when an atat -AT comes out to face it it turns out it was luke not darth vader but that's a, a little foreshadowing he just deflects casually an ATAT -AT cannon blast and brings the whole thing down with the force, which is just such a show of power compared to where we left off in the films. Yeah, the parallels between Luke and Vader are both textual and subtextual throughout these comics. Um, here, this kind of reminds me of when Luke goes into the cave to confront... You know, yeah. when the Empire back, he goes into the cave on Dagobah and confronts Vader, who turns out to be a reflection of himself. Yeah. So I think it might be calling back to that. Or it's just cool on its own. And then the <laughs> yeah. uh, panel with him over the, the destroyed ATAT -AT is just sick. With the Walker Falls. That's yes. just so sick. Just, it's so I good. And it really tells us that this is a different Luke. Yeah. Yeah, his shadow, the shadow he casts, you know, he's got this gigantic cloak, you know, with this big baggy cowl, you know, hood. And yeah. he's just casting this massive shadow in every panel. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's going to keep being super thematic. When he starts talking to everyone, we start seeing some some more, I think, pointed use of colors for the first time. Uh, we, yeah. we were washed in these big blues and purples and pinks to like set scenes and everyone's kind of washed in the same colors. Uh, once again, washed in the same colors, but yellow and blue uh, and those mixing to be green or i guess what the, it's the the green ah shoot there's two of them that mix uh that's very important for 
uh, defining good versus evil. Like kind of the green and the yellow are really big. And yeah, blue yellow... is that, that mellowed out color that we get in the end when things end up mixing thematically. Yellow over the eyes becomes very important for Luke throughout the entire... I mean, Luke and, and Palpatine when we get to him later. Um, but we get tons of yellow over the eyes Palpatine. to symbolize, you know, dark side. Or... Over Endor. Oh, yeah, shoot, I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep up with the continuity, dude. Somehow Palpatine Jeez. died? Well, I don't understand him dying. That, that's not really a somehow. <laughs> but uh, in, in addition with that, it's kind of a stylistic thing that the colors bring to almost everyone for the most part, the eyes have a streak of white across the two of them in most depictions of characters throughout this comic. Yeah. Um, to kind of be that blank slate and then not, not all the time, but usually white over the eyes is kind of the neutral position that most people are in with the way that it's shaded. And that's a, a place that you can drop colors. And as we move further on through here and we see Luke, start facing his fate he gets these very very defined yellow eyes even just a yeah couple you keep saying yellow but i'm so. thinking more like like a yellow green like chartreuse i'm not i disagree i think that's pretty stark yellow okay we can agree. we can disagree i maybe it's also the think juxtaposition with the blue that makes me feel that way i don't know that could be maybe uh we get some space weather it kind of like shows up from space, space weather um <laughs> bypasses yeah. the surviving nebulon b forget uh the antari six the hyperspace wormhole and makes landfall and just starts ripping panels and junk up i love the visual yeah it looks way bigger no, actually, it just does look huge in the first one, too. I mean, look at the, the size compared to the Nebulon B is pretty incredible. Right? Yeah, hard to tell how close it is to the Nebulon B forget. That's also so, true, yeah. I no scale to be had. This is one of, like, probably the first instance of just, like, an all-consuming mouth Yeah. in this uh, comic. Mm. It's a recurring motif, I think. Interesting. Yeah, so, so Luke says, no, it's coming for me. You guys need to leave. I'm going to face this alone. Yeah. And everybody leaves except R2. Yeah, Leia doesn't want us to leave. Yeah, somehow Archer gets to stay. Yeah, Leia realizes that she is that tether for Luke, but she's convincible. No one, no one's going to argue with R2. He's doing his own thing, and everyone else is, says, well, at this point, it's too close. We're going to die if we try and grab him, so R2 gets to go. Well, R2 is the main character, so He's R2 MacGuffin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, he does continue being a plot MacGuffin throughout this one as well. His... His born role in <laughs> in Star Wars. R two, do something. R two, that's metal as hell. <laughs> Luke is sucked up into the air along with tons of debris, chunks of Star Destroyer, ATAT, uh, war droids. Uh, you know, we call them war droids now, not battle droids at this point. Well, before it said yeah, weapons yeah, yeah. droids. Which I thought was weapons interesting. droids, yeah. A gesture that moves ever so slightly. The internal mechanics of the weapons droids. Weapons droid, yeah. And the uh, Dark Empire two, they like go back and forth between calling them war droids and battle droids. So it's just like not something huh. that you would call that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a bunch of corpses that are flying up in the air too, which is pretty uh, crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's just so many, so much, so much detail in a lot of these Kennedy inks. Yeah. Yeah. Delightful. I do. I, I am not a huge fan of this plot MacGuffin, the space wormhole that comes out of nowhere and sucks him. Uh, sucks him off? The next, 
Uh, well, not quite. <laughs> Moving awful. into the next one, just yeah. just sucks him up into just a prison ship. There just is a prison ship that he's in. <laughs> Unclear whether that prison ship was orbiting Coruscant before, or if he's been teleported to another part of the galaxy. He just is there. Um, well, I mean, I think we find out later that it wasn't just some random thing that happened, right? It was... Oh, no, clearly it was... who shall not be named. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a big force power. But, like, the... <laughs> So 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 I I don't know that that's a that's a dark side force power now is making a big storm that just slurps people up to wherever you need them to be and why does it only get Luke like this debris where is this debris going is this stuff all getting funneled into the ship like I have a lot of questions regarding this force storm and they have all been waved away so that's why the ship you know what I'm gonna say down rates. I'd say moderately high on my hacky writing scale. Something, something. It ain't that kind of story, kid. Uh, he's flexed his most powerful ability to move Luke like halfway to the destination. It doesn't like. <laughs> why, why are you? Why are you casting your top level spell in order to move a guy thirty feet? Who was willing to go? You could have just sent a shuttle over to him, and he would have hopped in the shuttle and been flown right over. But like, would that have been a cool just, visual in a visual medium that we are totally conveying <laughs> in this audio medium? <laughs> it just, it just is a thing. It, it was, it was rule of cool yes. only, and it doesn't hit for me for rule of cool. So okay. it's, uh, it, so I'd say it's a flop for me. You, okay. you can, you can feel differently about it. I think um, that's fine. But I, but, I, but I think it was something that's not explained when you could have. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I like great. It looks so good. It looks cool. I I like his um his Jesus moments here. He he t poses staring into the mouth of the abyss. And, oh, I think that's uh, actually Muhammad, and is beamed upward. That's Muhammad. <laughs> Muhammad did that. Oh, isn't that what the Kaaba well, I mean, he decided to have in the Kaaba? Isn't that correct? I have no idea. Honestly, I don't know. That's uh that that's some real uh cultural literacy from me, but uh, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. Look at this guy. Uh, but but de- definitely, I mean, definitely what? relevant for for I don't know. It definitely made me think Jesus though, because Jesus does do the thing where he ascends to heaven for a few days before coming back to earth. Yeah. He, he does no, he was just dead. You know, he was just dead. Yeah, he was interred in a tomb. The whole thing is like the guards well, showed up and they're like, "Why is the door for this tomb open?" And then. And then well, it turns out Jesus. Well, yeah. well his, his he he went to heaven to go talk to his dad. Yeah, he has he has an aside for That's three days. Yeah, yeah, he goes he goes to heaven and yeah. he goes, Dad, yo, why the hell did I go to heaven? But all the all the humans don't. Why am I the only one? And then Dad's like, because I like you. And he's like, uh, send me to hell like everybody else, or let people come to heaven. And then Dad's like, okay, everybody can go to heaven. Actually, now thinking about it more, I think this is uh, a Jesus parallel. It may, may have other things going on as well, but he is he is posing up with the arms out. Definitely not on the cross, but he is uh, splayed out, arms out uh, in a big X configuration, really. And then he, he ascends up, and then once he gets there, he has to he has to save everyone. He's been beamed up yeah. to potentially bargain his own soul, and that's what his intention here is, is that he's going to turn himself to the dark side in order to win from within and save everybody else yeah so i don't I disagree think that actually yeah and in the left panel we get very yellow eyes i don't think the kaaba had anything to do with um uh, muhammad ascending so i'm gonna rescind that i was i don't know what the kaaba does but it doesn't do that 
It's the know. center of the universe. I do know that. Oh, that's um, what I it's think, for. I think, okay. I think a star fell, and uh, we built a, a shrine to it there in that exact oh. spot. Um, and that was it was. Oh, that's why you. That's why you face it to pray. Wait. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the center of the universe. Is so you're talking about Mecca? It's yeah. Yeah, it's called the Kaaba. Am I just? Am yes. I, Essentially, just... the Kaaba just means cube. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so it's the okay, Muhammad. Okay, yeah. Sorry. It's a holocron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> um. So uh, we we head back to the New Republic fleet. They're yeah. at a place called Pinnacle Base, the fifth moon of Dasucha. And we get to see what the Rebel fleet looks like. Thoughts? Yeah, I like the Rebel fleet. It's very exciting. Oh, yeah, we were talking about we got the uh, got the Star Destroyer in the foreground. The Emancipator, yeah. Yeah, and we got all the ships in the background. Love them all. We got some, like, big Mon Calamari cruisers. We got, like, Corellian Corvettes. We got that's CR-90. We got the DP-20 Corellian Frickets, which actually comes originally from a piece of Ralph McQuarrie concept art for the hero ship that ended up becoming the Millennium Falcon. Um, it was also one of the major inspirations for the Corellian Corvette design. There's got this really cool, weird ship in the foreground. That one's my, that one's my favorite. Maybe it's some sort lot. of small gunship. It's got this sort of uh, sleek cockpit in the front, and then like a rear cylindrical section with a big engine on top and a couple of winglets descending from it. How do you think it lands? It. it uh, maybe the wings fold. Wings maybe fold up. Uh, my guess is wings fold up. It's a small enough ship. It should be maybe, able to land. Maybe repulsor so. lifts. Well, you can't just leave it on repulsor. I guess you can. Yeah. But well, because we seem to do it all the time. Yeah, but the, have you ever seen a land speeder touch the ground? Nah, yeah, yeah. You're right. I guess that's probably plausible. I've never seen it happen. Right. The thing is that yeah, it's never yeah. happened to a ship in lore. It you ruins can. the rule of cool for me because they need to have yeah. a little landing gear. Yeah, we should have landing gear. They oh, they have really long landing gear. They could have folding they landing gear. Really long landing gear front on the on the front side. That's what that could be. I, I like that. Maybe <laughs> that thing hanging <laughs> underneath. That would be pretty silly. Maybe. I think that thing hanging underneath is a little thing for, for Luke to hang on to. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, he does do that. Just I think, to make I think sure. we need little little wires for Luke to dangle from in, you know, in situations. And, and there's a whole bunch of weird little tiny ships around the background, you know, uh, like maybe they're like mini Corvette style things, mini gunboats. I don't know. We got um, the little then, barrel under their belly. Yeah, and then we have this really interesting like repair vehicle or some sort of uh, logistical vehicle. Um, that's doing repairs on the Star Destroyer Emancipator, um, which is really it's subtle. It's of nebulous yes. size. Of nebulous Unclear size. how close it is and how close it is to the Star Destroyer <laughs> and how big it is and how literal its presentation is. I just think it's neat. So yeah, Akbar is reporting to Mon Mothma. He just got back from a raid in the into the deep core. So that's sort of like the part of the galaxy that's closest to the center. Um, and he says he's saying that you know, they were fighting Imperials, but it was weird. They kept leaving, like peeling off. And it seems like the Imperial factions are all sort of leaving to go closer to the deep core, potentially ominous. We've got funny little squirrel dudes on this planet. Yeah, a planet that consists like squirrels of giant spires. You said, yeah, yes. they look like flying squirrels. Oh, okay, I see you. They look like the, uh, what's his name? The, the, the cartoon one with the pilot helmet rocky um is it rocky yeah okay yeah yeah 
does. Yeah. I, can, I cannot tell what's going on with the Ixels. Every time I stare at a panel with them, I can't tell what I'm looking at. They look like they got some sort of like pouch on the front. Yeah. They sort of look like they have a big mouth, but the mouth looks to be covered with something. There's like two little teeth. It's or like, like what little... if Rocky swallowed his helmet? Things. Or... <laughs> yeah yeah i just I don't know they concern me they they feel they feel like a real star wars comic creature design where i just don't know what it is and i can't fathom it. it's like living in an ecosystem yeah, um, yeah. Just, what an ecosystem it's there yeah yeah. It's, uh, yeah just tons of tall spires with little uh platforms on top they got little lily pad platforms on top, and they got yeah. hollow and full of caverns somehow. Yeah, and they got little branches, like mostly near the top. They got little branches off of them, sort of like yeah. trees. They're fascinating. I would hate to fall down in between the spires because you just get crushed in between the bases of all these spires, it feels like. That's just Star Wars. I feel like all of the worlds in this uh, comic are like stupidly vertical. Yeah. yeah. Everything spires in this comic. Huh. Uh, so we got a who's who of. Old Rebels, um, Mon Mothma and Akbar, uh, Jan Dadana's back. We get Crix Medine. They did him dirty by saying aging generals Medine and Dadana. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they did. Like Medine's not that old. <laughs> oh, no, no. Aging. Aging. It, it's in the text. I know exactly how old. Aging. I mean, Dadana's old. You can see by his cane. Um, <laughs> that's the only reason that anyone would have a cane if they're old. Yep. Of oh, course. No. Uh, so we got a crisis brewing, which is uh, yeah, the uh, what are they called? World, world devastators. devastators. Yeah, world devastators. Much different than a star destroyer or a death star. It is a world devastator. Far removed from a star killer base. Yeah, <laughs> re- reasonable and fully within our conventions for naming. I like that about them. Not even slightly similar to a sun crusher. <laughs> I love the first presentation of them. We say a great war fleet emerging from the very core of the galaxy. And on the next page, this giant really heavily washed in dark black colors with this, this thing is so large. TIE fighters are flying in between its trunk and its uh, and its main body. Just a monolithic thing approaching Mon Calamari. Yeah, Monolith is right. I mean, I was thinking about the Necron Monolith from Warhammer 40,000. Uh, like, take two of those and put them together with some sort of, like, uh, passageway in between. And then it's got these sort of, like, AT-AT inspired legs that aren't legs. They just kind of, like, I guess repulse it off the surface. Like engines, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah they, they read to me as big repulsor lifts. One in each corner. And this is number two giant mouth consuming everything. Yeah. Count them. So what does a world devastator do? It sucks up everything, starting on Mon Calamari. (laughs) Yeah. We finally have an explanation for why we have so many fish people in the rebellion. Like, clearly they seem to have some moral compass, but uh, we're we're told that they were one of the most devastated by imperial rule, put in slavery. So the Mon Calamari people have always been very active in fighting against the empire. So they are a great place to go and make an example of next. They were in line to be death starred. Yeah. It reads kind of similar to like, I don't know, like operation cinder in the new canon where Palpatine says, you know, fuck this world in particular. Yes. Yeah. I do. I, 
maybe we should do an episode on Operation Cinder because Operation Cinder is pretty cool. I, I think it's one of the cooler parts of the new canon. Sure. Hmm. I, I would. You said the monolith. I think they. I would like them better if they were one big monolith as opposed to two with the bridge. I don't like the bridge being in the um, little bridge in between two big monoliths. It doesn't feel very much like imperial design language to me and especially when comparing it as this is this uh series new super weapon like we did big ball we did big triangles we did a bigger ball uh and we did the uh the extra big triangle right death star death star you just two, want star giant pure and, cube of death um yeah like i i think it's it's less scary than a, a death star on its own they say but altogether these things are a bigger threat than a death star uh because they're just going to go and consume all they say everything in their path, just all they, what they they break down like molecules and reassemble them into new. Yeah, molecules so Tom Beach had all of this lore that he wrote, um, and he wrote up like there's like, four pages at the back of at each of the six issues. So there's like 24 pages of just like lore dump in the original Dark Empire comics as issued. And so how he describes world devastators is that they just like reduce matter to their constituent molecules and atoms and then just like rebuild whatever from that, which seems incredibly energy intensive, but um, counterpoint, miniaturized black holes. Um, So I guess it works. (laughs) Isn't that just the Borg planet? What, a giant cube? A giant cube? Sure. but Star Trek did this first. Does it have miniaturized black holes? That's fine. (laughs) <laughs> it's got a big mouth we can see the mon calamari people uh fighting against it to their capacity we see some new mon calamari ships both escaping uh and loading on people to try and evacuate as much of the planet as possible since the entire planet is going to get consumed at this rate we've got uh some weapons that aren't mon calamari capital ships which is good because we we get to see a lot of mon calamari capital ships inspired design big lump with lumps on it but Seeing like these turrets uh, with little inscribed designs uh, fighting back over the spaceport is pretty neat because we get to see something Mon Calamari that's not just the lump ships, which I say lovingly. <laughs> I, I like say lumpingly. Ships. Lumpingly. There's this interesting compare and contrast. So we're getting um, into uh, this kind of push pull between Leia and Luke, even though they're separated through distance. Um, Leia's you know, feeling her brother through the force, she feels him getting more distant. Yeah. You were pointing you out this, the eye colors? I was going to say, this great panel of the, the, the Leia blue eyes, that's very, it's very accentuated that she's got these very blue eyes here. And then next page, you get a, a very similar panel of just Luke's eyes, and they're yellow. Distinctly yeah, yellow. It's a sharp contrast. He's out here immersed in, in the dark blue of this prison ship that he's been sucked out into along with R2. Uh, and of, of note, he says, to the eyes of the Force, these Mandalorian walls don't even exist. Yeah. Mandalorian walls. Which is fascinating. A nice, a nice throw-in of the Mandalorian thing, which uh, at this point, I don't know what the canonicity of I'm not even sure we had the word Buscar in 1991. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, like throwaway line. That's neat. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't figure out what he meant by that at all until you guys mentioned that uh, that this is a, a ship used for transporting Jedi. Uh, so it's got to be impervious to the Force or lightsabers to some amount. So yeah, apparently Beskar, it's left over from we have it now would be perfect. The Clone Wars, but like as modern audiences, we can read 
let's say yeah. this is like after the Clone Wars during the Jedi hunt. Yeah. And it's a cool looking ship. It is metal as hell. I like the big box structure on the back of it that I could not imagine a reason for. <laughs> it's like a big frame. It's, yeah, it's to make it look more prisony, you know? Oh, that's yeah, true. It is that's, that was my reading of it, too. Yeah. Um, it's, it really adds to it. It's unique. It's orbiting yeah. Biss where the main body of the Imperial fleet is massed. So, you yeah. know, Biss, it's the center of the deep core, um, you know, the epicenter of the dark side. You know, it's Biss, Abyss, get it? <laughs> the the amount of different, you know, dark side homeworlds, dark side centers there are now in throughout all of the legends and canon lores now, right? Yeah. In canon right now, we have, what, Exegol. Uh, Malachor technically does exist in canon because of Rebels. Yeah. And then in, like, Legends, we had... What's the one from uh, KOTOR? It's a Korriban, but it's called Morband in, uh, yeah. in Clone Wars or Rebels. Hmm. Yeah, well, it also shows up in, what, the uh, the cinematics for uh, Swotor, which is pretty neat. I think it says Korriban. And I definitely think there's more than just those... Three. I mean, obviously, I mean, like Yavin Four is like a Sith world, you know, like the necessity. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I think it's interesting that these start to show up pretty often. Yeah. So comparing the Imperial fleet to the Rebel one, you know, we get a lot of wedges. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, but we have some big variety on the kinds of wedges. Obviously, most of them are Imperial class, and we've got this prison ship where all the dialogue is coming from, uh, which definitely is the prison ship. Because it's got that little dangly part and it's got the boxy part, but it it definitely stands out to me that it doesn't look like it's a one to one. Like I feel like these inks were done not at the same time. Uh, that makes sense. The I mean, we've got like a lot of like they're working on slightly different concepts. Fiddly little so. background ships, basically. Yeah, but we do have some weird looking star destroyer things. Yeah, like this big, massive humpbacked super star destroyer. Very partial, that one. Yeah. It's a neat neat design. And there's the ship with like a forward wedge section, but like an aft, like square section, kind of Nebulon B-ish. It's a lot of Nebulon B-ish stuff all throughout. I mean, the prison yeah. ship is... I have the, no uh, doubt the, that the Nebulon B word cubes are... Which, you know, uh, I've, I've told you guys plenty. It's my favorite as well. That's just the coolest ship in Star Wars. So I'm I'm with them on this. I, I can't argue with making everything kind of a Nebulon B. Um, we get to Biss. Yeah, and I think in the... I don't think this shows up in the text as such, but in the supplementary material, I believe Tom Beach calls Biss um, a world of ominous harmony. Yeah. I love that. Like, there's some sort of, like siren's call that drags that that like draws the, the the affluent and wealthy from the empire to this world that's steeped in dark side power where they become like i guess subservient to palpatine's will just like through his like enveloping dark side influence pretty cool the we don't get to see a lot of the surface of Biss. we spend a lot of time in a couple of towers but yeah. when we are on the surface we see these like crazy uh absolutely insane uh, uh, glassy spires. You know, I was saying they remind me of, of like the art of Roger Dean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe even like Mobius a little bit. Yeah, and then we get uh, we get Luke chucked into a trap to hold a Jedi, an energized cage. You're saying that it's like uh, it messes with the concentration, so Jedi can't use the it. The audio power. drama says that it 
affect the concentration so that a force user isn't able to exert their uh, control of the force. Um, although Tom Veach doesn't really regard the audio drama as being definitive. Sure. Uh, we get this, uh, these incredible guards and they look super cool and they are massive. I mean, they're looking like they're 12 feet tall. Yeah, they're huge, yeah. these sentinels. They actually derive from a piece of concept art, like an earlier iteration of what became the Royal Guards, the Red Guards, the Emperor's Guards. But this was an earlier concept iteration by Nilo Rodisiamero, concept art guy who did a lot of work on The Empire Strikes Back and he did like a lot of the costuming in, in Return of the Jedi. Um, and their cool design, I think they really scream Battlestar Galactica more than Star Wars for me. I yeah, I don't think they I I don't think they're really like a, an empire thing. They don't really look empire, they don't really feel empire. But like ancient Sith is I think a pretty good vibe for them. Yeah. Yeah, they do feel like oh. what we've ended up with for ancient Sith. And so the Royal Guard design that ended up happening, like the really iconic red one is great. It's so sleek and uh monotone, which is the uh, how much of the evil is. Um, yeah. Here, yeah. once again, speaking of monotone colors, I guess not really monotone, but the yellow eyes come out, especially as he blasts away these guys. He gets out of the cage. He goes, "Nope, I'm here because I chose to be here. You're not escorting me around as a prisoner." And he just, he just makes his way out of there. He just marches on out. You see a R2D2, and so these like nobles, these imperial nobles, go, "Ha ha!" He's uh, they laugh at him. They go, oh, "He's gonna get eaten up by the emperor." He's walking to his doom, is what they say. That's right. So who is there? Yes, it's the Emperor. Somehow, Palpatine has returned. Yeah, which we would never have seen coming. Not from Yeah, not world. because we don't play Fortnite. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. yes, we didn't get the exposition. If only, if only we had played Fortnite. If only we played Fortnite, we would have known insane, all about Dark insane Empire. Tie-in. Not, yeah, not so Fortnite being an insane tie-in. That, that plot being a tie-in is insane. <laughs> I love to a Fortnite event. how long Palpatine spends monologuing at Luke. <laughs> yeah, it is like, like the entire two page spread. Yeah, Luke spends oh, yeah. very little time talking. He's doing a lot of thinking, you can tell. Yeah, and a lot of yellow in his eyes, but not in Palpatine's until the second page. Sure, yeah. That's when he really turns up the heat. Uh, where he says, oh, are you going to stab me? No, no, you couldn't. You couldn't even... I mean, this is this is the heart of his pitch, is if you wanted to kill me, if you could, even if you could kill me, like, let's, let's give the hypothetical. Even you, super-powered Luke, who's like 10 times the man that he was at the end of the original trilogy, you, you can't kill me. But if you could, I just come back. Like, I don't even care if you kill me. I'm that good. And Luke goes, you know what? You're right. I can't beat you on my own. I have the only way to find another solution is to join you. The crux of our plot now is clear. And I do love the throwaway line in A New Hope of the Clone Wars, right? I love how it how it comes back to explain his 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 return. I think it's I think it I do think it's a good Yeah, he has the uh, cloning technology. Yeah, cloning cloning's a thing that exists here. So he can make clones. The thing, the thing that's neat is that he, right, he 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 transfers his consciousness. I guess that's like the big thing, and then yeah. he turns through bodies. Yeah, because we see this body. He looks basically the same as at Return of the Jedi, but you know, canonically, this body cannot be older than four years old, right? Or six years old? Yeah, yeah I think six, six yeah. years between Return of the Jedi and Dark Empire. Yeah, so he's he he's got a pretty fast turn rate on bodies. The dark side 
is a corrupting influence. Which is yeah, why we'll see that again at the end of the series. More bodies, or at least a body that can better handle what he has. I don't think that's why he wants the uh, Leia's uh, child. child. He, he wants not... to. He wants them to be the apprentice. He wants to train an apprentice. Well, he, for, he says he wants to train an apprentice says, and then take their body and then take the body. Okay, but yeah, I think so. that seems reasonable too. Yeah, that's reasonable. Well, I like that. That's a reasonable pitch from this crazy dude. I, like it doesn't seem indicated for sure that he can do it, but I bet if he's if he's pitching it, I assume he can do it. He kind of has that level of power here. And throughout this conversation. Luke starts very much in yellow and Palpatine is very much green and the colors meld until these, this final page where the two of them are steeped in blue backlit by yellow. They have a yellow source from themselves. Yeah. But they, they've meshed the yellow and green into blue of this unholy matrimony of Sith and apprentice. Oh no. R2 has yellow on his eye. Oh no. <laughs> oh god what is what could it mean <laughs> truly the most dangerous dark side user i think so he yeah skippy the jedi droids nemesis <laughs> yeah. uh leia feels luke's turn towards darkness she says to han oh this was a mistake we need to be there we need to go there now han says all right <laughs> I. he says leia i've got a bad feeling about this I love getting the the original quotes. Every time we get them, it makes me happy. And every time that these two are together, we are mixing our pink and blue. They are always uh, in our very romantic colors whenever the two of them are together. And usually when the two of them are on screen together at all. But definitely when they're alone. Well, I guess pink and blue are also the colors of Pinnacle Base, which is interesting. Yeah. yeah, Magenta and blue. Uh, So the Rebels send aid to Mon Calamari against the seemingly invincible world devastators. So the other Star Destroyer leads the push. It's the Emancipator, again, under the command of Lando. Also, Wedge is there. Hi, Wedge. Hi, Wedge. So the Imperials are, like, transmitting the destruction of Mon Calamari from their command ship, you know, for propaganda purposes. What does Lando do with that? He takes that uh, coordinate and he jumps two feet from it. I mean, was it two degrees is what he says? Yeah, two degrees. for whatever he that means. right onto it and just starts blowing that dude up. And they charge up the turbo lasers on the Star Destroyer Emancipator uh, in hyperspace so that they can pre-fire. They're pre-firing corners. And they come out and immediately <laughs> devastate the Super Star Destroyer. <laughs> uh, I, I do say, I do think this panel of them coming out was confusing to me because at several points in time, in the text we describe several important time points, which are the emancipator coming out of hyperspace and firing immediately and destro- then destroying the superstar destroyer then the rest of the fleet coming out of hyperspace and also firing uh when they get in but to have everything in one place we just kind of have everything happening simultaneously so i took a while trying to figure out like which star destroyer is which which one is the superstar destroyer that's destroyed especially because this Super Star Destroyer is just a big Imperial class as opposed to being like the Executor class. Well, technically, it's an Allegiance class Super Star Destroyer. Um, the Allegiance, the, the named ship of the class. Oh, yes. Yes, it is named that. Is it? Is it the only Allegiance class? I am not clear. So they launch fighters. Uh, they've got X-Wings. They've got V-Wing combat airspeeders. So airspeeders being basically flying vehicles that need to operate in atmosphere the v-wings so you're saying you don't like really like the v-wing design no 
No, they're they're very boxy. They feel generic, honestly. I I think that the original designs in this comic kind of go between really popping off and uh, feeling like they could be attached to really any sci-fi franchise from the 90s. And I feel like the V-Wings feel that way, especially with the way they all just clip onto the bigger one, which conceptually I'm not totally against. I think but... it's cool that they clip onto the space-worthy transports in order to get them onto into atmosphere. I'm, I'm, I'm down with the concept. I just think the execution looks hacky because it's just... The, it feels like we just we just copy and pasted four times and then one of them was enlarged by 300 percent and they're they're they're, like it's unclear how they're attaching they just are all on top of each other so i didn't even know that they were i just thought that there was little piles of them all flying together at different like perspectives Uh uh-huh and i feel like it also feels a little rough with that star destroyer in just amazing ink right behind it the two star destroyers yeah I guess the heavy greebling on the Star Destroyer does kind of, uh, you know, emphasize how big it is. But that thing looks gorgeous. Uh, well, you won't be seeing that much more of it because no! Lando immediately gets it piloted into the mouth of the World Devastator. To be fair, I wouldn't have expected it either. The World Devastator. Well, to eat the whole Star Destroyer. True, it's just pretty, pretty ballsy. But it, it does, it does. You know what? I didn't expect the world devastators either. Those did blindside me when they were first on the page, so. I was looking up information about the recoloring that Marvel published in 2015 of the New Hope arc, uh, Star Wars 1 through 6 from the original, and I found a series of the most deranged forum posts possible on the website jwfan.com, uh, which for the record stands for johnwilliamsfan.com. So somewhere in the John William fan forums, somebody, uh, gruesome son of a bitch, posts, Al Williamson is the greatest artist of all time. I am a nearly lifelong fan of the classic Marvel Comics adaptation of Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. Marvel is now reissuing them, and they have apparently ruined them. Check this shit out. The left is obviously the new remastered version. What's perhaps most disturbing about this is they seem to have made it more resemble the Abrams Star Trek movie. Look at the panel with the Star Destroyer and Blockade Runner in orbit of Tatooine. Jesus Christ! I'm truly concerned for the Al Williams and Carlos Garzon Empire adaptation. We expect to see those classic star fields with like zillions of planets replaced with Abrams lens flares? Will the original Job of the Hut be replaced with the special edition version? This is a wild post. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh no. The left side looks better. Darth Vader isn't supposed to be blue. I like him the best. <laughs> so the raping of childhoods extends beyond Lucas. Incredible quote. <laughs> Thank you, King Mark. <laughs> I'll be blood Does Han still shoot first in the comic? That's all that matters in the end. <laughs> oh, I really like the last one. <laughs> They're just comics, dude. Kid stuff. Yes, it's not like it's a graphic novel. It's not like it's a graphic novel. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> that's, that's the same. That's the same guy that said, "Does Han still shoot first in the comic?" That's all that matters. Which is so funny because, like, well, especially like the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi adaptations were released as uh, uh, full collections before they were released as comic book issues too. Man. So by definition, though, I suppose they were yeah. novels. Uh, so many good takes. What a train wreck! Every single post. 
Uh, Leia has a really vis stylized vision of... Is it Darth Vader? Is it <gasps> Luke? Oh no, it's Luke. Are we drawing intentional parallels between the two of them? I also oh. love this. Uh, the next page, we got this panel with uh, Luke looking very menacing, and he's got the blues. He's got uh, the blues. Very heavy <laughs> in the yellow, because the blues are very Darth Vader. Right? Darth Vader is all, always dark yes. blue in comics. And here he's got the blue as part of his cape pretty heavily. Yeah. It's like the tie-dye effect again. I saw like a little clip from a comics art podcast. They were talking about this page in particular because of those really well-delineated ink lines around everything. And then the crazy yeah. washes on top of it that does not yeah. bleed outside the lines. It's so precise. It and, looks really good. Um, they were saying, you know, very technical. Hmm. But not something I would have grasped onto. I'd have been like, well, that's neat. Yeah. <laughs> it looks cool. But imagine also because he's doing it all at one time, right? He's not doing the ink separate from the colors. He's doing it on a single page. This, uh, in thing. the very bottom left here, this panel of, of the, the vision disappearing and Leia with Leia in front of it, it says, and lost, right? You see that? Yes. Your brother has risked all and lost. Yeah, uh, that looks very similar to the panel of Obi-Wan dying in... Uh, <laughs> Where he's just going like... Bruh! It's his full, oh, yeah, full absorbed, yellow yeah. with white and then... Hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a Jedi death. A Jedi death, yeah. You're right. And this, this causes Leia to pass out from the exertion of uh, this force and the, the terrible realization, which also has woken C-3PO up. Amusingly, you can see him in the background when the Darth Vader apparition first appeared. Speaking of terrible eyes turning the page and looking at this wonderful new state-of-the-art fighter craft design. Yeah, look at it. In the very background there. Yes. Oh, you mean the <laughs> No, we're talking about the A9. That's yeah, the A9 is nice. <laughs> yeah, and these things will... Uh, we, did, we did sift through to find they appear once in the background after this. After um, combing the entirety of the series looking for A9s, I think I found like four instances of them. Oh, wow. Very bizarre to have this one presented so so clearly. And I'm not against the design, but I don't I don't like it for this. I don't I really don't like it as an imperial design. Uh and it definitely rates low among rebel designs. But I cannot imagine the Imperials designing this thing. Yeah, it says I think the reason it's in here is for story, because it says a major weapons manufacturing plant has just deposed the governor and joined the alliance. Um yeah. that's like um like the beginning of Dark Empire 2 actually centers on that plot mm. point. Okay. So mm. I think maybe yeah. they're just they're just for you know foreshadowing. It's, it's just a ship more. there to like world build. I think they are putting world building in order to foreshadow future plot. Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I'm not against that. I just, I, I just don't like that ship too much. I like that it's got you know huge ass uh, like jet engines on either side. Uh, on the oh, I don't like tips. that it would immediately big ass do sixty backflips when you turn it on. <laughs> yeah, I, I can really say. Don't like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you tell me you're trying to fly you know, that thing. Herbal space program ship. Yes, yes, it is such a Kerbal ship. Oh my it, god! Yeah, I do kind of buy it as like an evolution of Tie Fighter philosophy, in that there you know, is a super part small, light, further away one man ship without torpedoes. Uh huh. Sure. Okay. Yeah. It does have that in common. I'm picking up what you're putting down. You're spinning up what I'm. What I'm. Never mind. 
Yeah, yeah. wait, am I swallowing what you're regurgitating? Is that... Oh, oh. oh. oh no. Oh, sorry, no, no, we do it. We have two more iterations because there's one, uh, there's one of these trainees that uh, Han briefed. He's taken up this role because he wants to spend some more time with Leia because they've just been married and it has been adventure after adventure, war after war. So instead of piloting a Star Destroyer into certain doom, he is, he's training at home and we see the trainees flying around, flying around the Ixels. So it does a little bit of a ambiance building in this nice little black uh, semi-panel. Uh, as we transition back to the Millennium Falcon, because we've got another adventure to go on. Han and Leia got to go to uh, Nalhutta. Well, they got to go to Nar Shaddaa. Yes. The, the moon of Nalhutta, the home planet. Well, not home planet, but the, the current major planet of the Huts. They need to go to Bis to get Luke, but oh, yeah. they're a blockade around Bis, so they need to get... They need on a ship that's going yeah. to this. Uh, Han knows somebody apartment. who's doing shipping out of Narshada since he's a smuggler. It's the smuggler's moon. Yeah, yeah, luckily for people who are trying to get into the galactic center, they're building a lot of ships down there, so they need a lot of raw materials. So basically everyone who runs goods, all the smugglers, now have legit work taking just raw raw goods for shipbuilding over to Bis. So anyone with a with a valid driver's license under <laughs> Palpatine's Palpatine's secret empire at this core of the galaxy, and you know essentially a, a semi truck can get access to go in there. So he needs a friend with a pickup truck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's why we're headed to Narshada because Han has roots back there on uh, Narshada. That's where we learned how to be a smuggler. Narshada is an interesting world, you know it. It might be the most spires out of any of the worlds we see. Everything is all spires. spires. Um, yeah. Kind it's, of foreshadowing how Coruscant ends up being in later lore. Yeah. Once once they build it back up, because right now it is just a mess after the three wars that have been fought on it. Right. This continuity. I love how much debris is just kind of floating around in Narshada's orbit. Like, you'd think that yeah. you would, it would be basically innavigable. But I kind of like that... You know, in terms of smuggler lore, it's like, yeah, I mean, smugglers, like, even just on a, on a regular, like, no-risk run, just, like, have to, like, run basically a, a, some sort of, like, debris field. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps them sharp. I don't know. My other question, okay, I, I was thinking about it before, and I was like, well, it's under the, the huts. Like, this is the cartel runs this place. Usually the cartels, like, if they are able to keep the government out, they will... You know, they're the rule of law there, so they clean up stuff and all that. But it seems like this this whole moon is just falling apart. The shield generator that used to kind of cover the whole spaceport just crapped out like six years ago, and just nothing's been done about it. There is countless ships just crashed here. Also, I just realized, why, why are ships crashed in low orbit over this moon? What's happened? Like, Fighting. is there just that much dog fights over the port? That Tons people of smugglers, are criminals, down? bounty hunters, mercenaries. Like, it's like an active war zone if there's that many I mean, they are uh, crash ships. They are attacked at showing up. They, they come into orbit and they are attacked. That's right. Yeah, the but I feel like this is, this is such an edge case, though, because they have, with their own two hands, like, with her own two hands, Leia murdered a hut. So I feel like they're extra hot, especially with the Imperials have the bounty sure. on them. I mean, they say... I would say that, like, anybody who has a bounty going into this area is probably going to be pretty immediately attacked. I want to say that this is, like, probably mostly world-building towards how, basically, there is nobody upkeeping Narshadal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which nobody's cleaning the trash. 
hard to believe, but but it's 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 a real mess out here. Yeah, and so all of these spires are like individual like self-contained cities. So Han's headed toward the Corellian sector. I call it little Corellian. You said little Corellia. Little Corellia. Yeah. Uh, They're immediately attacked uh, by three bounty hunters. Chase them down to the canyons. Han hits up his buddy. Who is it? It's it's Shugnix. Yeah, Shugnix. I will say one of the things we find out later is that one of these three ships following Han is the Slave Two, Boba Fett's new ship. Mm -hmm. I hate it. Significantly less cool. It's so Good. much worse than the Slave One. And it's maybe implied that the Slave One is that uh, fire spray that's hanging in orbit over the planet because we see it, you know, it actually, when you close the comic, it is kissing the Slave Two on the direct opposite page. Uh, <laughs> so I, I feel like I feel like it's heavily implied that that could be the Slave One, if not just another one. At least it's on the mind. A little bit of like maybe foreshadowing for the fact that we're dealing with the Slave 2 and Boba Fett uh, in a minute. Uh, so Shug Nynx's garage can only be accessed through a, a secret shaft that is hidden by a ho- holoscreen billboard. Which is yeah. great. I love that. And defended by turbo lasers, which destroy one of the pursuers. We get to meet... Han's old friend, Shugnix, and also uh, Salazend, who he used to date when he lived in Narshada. It's her ship that he needs to get to get transport on. Um, they send Han and Leia on a fetch quest to get some parts that, I guess, question mark, are in Han's old apartment from, I want to say, 10 years ago? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just crazy that he still has the keys. I mean, he, he's doubtful that his stuff's still in there anyways, I guess, but it's worth a shot. So they go to get some parts. They're trying to keep a low profile to avoid bounty hunters, but they run into... Uh, what's her name? Vima. Vima. And she seems to have been a previous... Previously, she used to be a Jedi, I guess. Yeah, apparently she's like 200 years old, I guess. Yeah. Um, and she's got a box that she gives Leia. And that box... Well, I guess we don't find out what it contains yet, so... But... Uh, they go to Han's apartment, and uh, Han's droid is saying that he gets that he has a message from Mister Fett, or more significantly, a Mister Fett to see you, sir. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's got a visitor, Mister Who? <laughs> What's <Mr>. that? <laughs> and that's where we end the issue. You guys were enjoying the portrayal of Boba Fett. I oh, love perfect. this Boba Fett. It, it this is this is perfectly the Boba Fett from Return of the Jedi. He isn't he isn't like weirdly a badass. There's like no like uh, he rolls a critical one and then we don't see him anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. He, just, <laughs> that guy he is that guy, <laughs> like a dude who's a bounty hunter. Uh, yeah, that's his thing. He, he oopsies and then the trail went cold, so uh, he's no longer on screen. So we get the same the same amount of involvement. In fact, they chase them to a dead end where Han, where there used to be a bridge that Han was going to take Leia to escape. And instead, there's I don't know a hut lounging on some repulsor chair here, and 
Boba Fett accidentally fires a rocket that hits this hut on his chair and just knocks him into the abyss. Because, of course, there's just an abyss uh, everywhere in Star Wars. And conveniently, the hover chair is still there for Han and Leia to get away on. Yeah, it's great. It's such a weird scene. Uh, So they end up taking off on the, what, Starlight Intruder? Yeah. Solid ship. I guess they're they're just going to chance it on not having the new parts. They said that they would scrap some of the uh, some of uh, Shugnings's other ships. Yeah, to to scrounge up the parts. They just didn't want to have to do that before because it wasn't necessary. But now it's necessary. Going above and beyond. They have a lot of loyalty for him, as we'll see going forwards. Which I like. the the plan all requires these two being real chill about everything that's going to happen, despite <laughs> it being insane. Luckily, <laughs> those two are real chill about it, despite how insane everything gets. So Luke is officially the commander of the Imperial fleet. He is in charge of the World Devastators, which um, I guess is how the first Rebel victories occur. A World Devastator self-destruct itself. Yeah. Take it back. Take it back. (laughs) Fight for it. Fight for it. The hut says, watch those wrist rockets. Boom. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't watching the wrist rockets. (laughs) Um, so I've with the world devastators, they're not just eating the whole planet and doing mega alchemy. They're alchemying them into new robotic tie fighters, which are, uh, are a tidy little design. Uh, and we've got E-wings on out on the fray. X-wings earlier, we said that these things are antiques and they can't do squat in a fight. The E-wings, though, are the fancy new ones. I don't know what about them makes them better. They've got, um, I don't know, I guess one less gun and two less engines, but uh, some... <laughs> Some Make part of better. that arithmetic comes out to these being much better. So we assume that they might be capable of more, but they're not actually responsible for that victory since it's just Luke pressing the self-destructive button <laughs> on a super weapon, which is insane. Yeah, and uh, uh, it is implied mind-controlling or just intimidating an Imperial officer to not spill the beans. Yeah, to be honest, I'm not sure if he's totally cut out to this uh, Sith Apprentice thing because his sub- subterfuge is, like, really obvious. <laughs> but the Emperor <laughs> is enjoying it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he like, goes, ah, I lost a world devastator. I, I knew Luke would get up to some shenanigans once I did this. super so. amused by, like, how Acceptable. obvious Luke is being. With with um, the crew showing up to Han Solo, you know, Leia, and, and Sala, and Shug, coming to the the planet uh what a name shug they're being chased by the slave two with boba fett and dengar and then um uh the shields around the planet turn uh turn on right as the uh the crew gets through so the slave two just bounces off the shields and this is never working with you again yes I like that this is like a reasonable maneuver that like every daring character in Star Wars is going to do. Like, oh, the shields are going to close around that uh, transport yeah, ship. Let's just go really it. fast so we can go in the same opening as them. But it doesn't work this time because, uh, I don't know, Biss is just Palpatine's uh, base operations. Like, he just runs a tighter ship than that. They can close the shield really fast. Yep. And that's yep. all. That's, that's Okay, you know what? I Like, that's and- believable for me. And I think the best part is that's the last we see of them for the rest of the, at least this comic. Yeah, they're out. These six issues. That's, that's it. Yep. And Dengar. Well, hey, they're, they're lucky they're alive. Their ship only broke in half on the unimportant side. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, they lost a wing, but the fuselage. Yeah, they lost their gun and a wing. 
Uh, we get to see a couple of the Imperial facilities on BIS. There's a starport where all of the smugglers and merchants are docking. You know, there's not much for them to do there. They got a bar, but uh, they're mostly kept. They're kept out of the inhabited portions of BIS. And then there's the Imperial Citadel, which is where the Emperor has his throne room and where Supreme Commander of the Imperial Forces, Luke Skywalker, is uh, situated. Insane looking building. On their way to the Imperial Citadel, they start getting chased by a uh, Imperial security force. And uh, Leia uses some mind tricks on the uh, gunner um, and makes it so that he just, I guess, doesn't see the ship. It seems like, whereas his commanding officer is like, yo, bro, the ship is there. I see it. And the the gunner's like, yeah, I don't know. Targeting computer doesn't see it. So uh, I'm I'm not shooting. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> what do you mean? The ship is right there on the targeting screens. Destroy it. Sorry, sir. The targeting computer is never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, apparently they're going to get executed for this mess up. So... <laughs> That's sorry. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> the Falcon does a daring raid where they drop off Leia, Han, and Chewbacca. I guess C3PO also for some reason. And then yeah, Fallon and Shug go back to the uh, uh, starport. Yeah. This will be important for when they need a daring rescue. Luke summons <laughs> them to the Emperor's cloning chamber. Huh. Everyone's just hanging out yeah. in the cloning chamber. I mean, yeah. neat. like, check out those clones. <laughs> yeah. He just wanted to show off his new body. Uh, yeah. He was like, yo, this stuff is crazy. Look at this. Han <laughs> immediately does what Han does. Immediately tries to shoot Luke, the traitor. Justified. Luke yeah. does exactly what uh, Darth Vader does in Empire Strikes Back and shuts him the fuck down. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and we see that Luke, well, Luke used the force with his, his arm that doesn't have a hand. Hands gone. And then everyone's like, whoa, you don't. What happened to your hand? And he goes, "Yeah, they're making me a better one." Yeah, not ominous at Which, all. It, it feels, yeah, it feels like it's so ominous. But th- I, I don't know. Here, he had a robot hand. He gets a new robot hand. But like, it just the vibes. You're like, oh, he's evil, evil. I don't know why it does that, but it does. Yeah, it does. Because like nothing's changed. It's like I don't know. Like I, I've got money now. I can get a cool prosthetic. So uh, that's all. That's all that happened. Leia starts swinging with the lightsaber that uh, Vima Deboda gave her. Yeah. Um, the the Lord says that apparently the lightsaber is like, I want to say like 10,000 years old. Which is crazy because she's only 200. I guess that in Veach's conception, like lightsabers tend to get passed down. Well, yeah. Well, also, maybe it wasn't even her lightsaber. You know, we could just be like, she just found another lightsaber while she was. Yeah, for sure. Um, But anyway, the emperor just disintegrates it with his mind. He vaporizes it. Crazy. (laughs) So it does it does leave us wondering what the point of uh, of issue four was, because yeah. we we went to the apartment to get the parts. We can't get the parts because there's bounty hunters, but we get a lightsaber. But the lightsaber gets disintegrated as soon as it gets used. So I feel like the first part where we meet his friends and the last part where they leave the planet were the relevant sections, unfortunately. And the rest of it was just Han and Leia escapade. It was an escapade. It's fun. They did get to meet Vima. We get Boba Fett. And didn't didn't meeting Vima kind of unlock some more power for Leia? Something like that, yeah. She just became a little bit more attuned with the Force. 
That makes sense. Yeah, I think it was uh, Leia and the Force mentioned in the same uh, sentence, so that way you feel more okay when she does Force stuff later on. Super Kami Guru put his hands up. I'm unlocking your potential. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, was, it was a characterization. Very much. Uh, so we cut back in the fifth issue to the cantina, the bar at the spaceport on Biz. Sala and Shug are chatting with another spacer crew who's letting them store the Falcon on their ship. Um, as long as the Imperials don't find it, spoiler alert, the Imperials well, the immediately thing. find it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Full red panel. Make sure the probes don't see it taken off from the Marauder. That ship will <laughs> that ship's all Luingo and me got. Luingo would be heartbreaking broken if something happened to her. Uh, well, full page later. To... Yeah. I guess Kinda I guess a page and a half later it takes a rocket to the <laughs> yeah. to their ship. Um so we got these crazy like mega probe droids that have like um, again, the giant mouth consuming everything. This big compartment that can just like capture ships. Yeah, yeah it seems like they got like a, a grav beam, a tractor beam. In yeah, for interring uh, any, I guess, small to medium sized ships that aren't behaving. They're also like armed to the gills. You were pointing out yeah. that like the giant hunter killer probe droids kind of remind you of like oh, other yeah. sort of like science fiction or fantasy genre pieces where it's like this is the evil police state city yeah by the way oh absolutely have like, like police like uh, zeppelins floating around airships yeah like, these guys are just like floating around ominously just 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 yeah. spying on everybody yeah and these ones have spotlights that see through your ship in order to see the cargo you're hauling yes that's how they see the falcon inside and I the think other ship very interestingly well not interesting kind of funnily uh shug and Sala end up commandeering this. But now to think about it, they would have so they got out of it, and yeah. I guess they just shot their way to the bridge. I don't even know if there is a bridge. Yeah. They seem to, they seem to be robotic. They just hot, hot wire. They do the same thing that um what that Mace Windu does in the Gendi Tartakovsky Clone Wars. <laughs> yeah. so he just grabs the wires in his hands and then uses it to steer. <laughs> what an incredible thing. That's how it works. But uh, just, just, just punch into its brain and like, pull it. From from whoever built these things, that the people can just leave their ship when they're inside of it and just, I guess, hang out in there and do whatever they yeah, want. It, it seems like a critical failure in design. I guess it's got a lobby. If you were put in a prison cell and there was a reasonable way for you to off screen, like it's not even significant enough to be on screen actions, <laughs> yeah. for you to to be behind the control center in charge of the prison now that was a, a poorly designed prison i must uh must say. i'm just imagining uh in like one shot people get like put into the back of a police car and then in the next shot they are driving the car <laughs> that's exactly what it yeah. was <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah that's fine <laughs> uh, they, they they've got their own in, in another universe there exists the comic where the two of them do that escapade uh, it's not this one. It's uh, entirely non-existent, but somewhere the story can be told of what they do. We cut back from them beginning the next daring escapade to rescue everyone, since we had that Millennium Falcon tucked away as a rescue device. Leia has been brought into the Emperor's personal chamber. Yeah, and he shows her a holocron, a Jedi artifact. Did these exist in the Thrawn trilogy? I don't think so. I think this is where holocrons come from. It's a pretty sick 
pretty sick thing. I like holocrons a lot. And he establishes that a holocron is more than just a recording of teachings, but depending on who you are coming to the holocron, you can access different parts um, that the gatekeeper of the holocron allows you to access. So it's kind of implied that Palpatine is presenting Leia with the holocron to get at some of the things that he can't. Yeah. Whereas the holocron is going to, when presented with Leia, oh, you're, you're a light side or pure of heart. Yeah. And we get this crazy, like, alien Jedi design, Bodo boss. I guess he's sort of crustacean-ish. Yeah. He's got some tentacles. And Palpatine reveals that he can enter anybody and overshadow the soul that dwells therein. Even the unborn child stirring in Leia's womb. He says, "Oh no, that's just a weird thing to say." And yeah. like, if there is ever a way to get tipped off of your floating bed and your your snowglobe <laughs> stolen, that was that's it. And uh, the results are predictable. Snow cube. I love. I actually do really love this panel of Leia right after he actually, says it's that. Not in hover bed. She just breaks the whole bed in half. Holy shit! Floor. You're right. <laughs> Like, yeah, she, she, she looks so fucking angry. She's like, all right, bitch, so you're done. You know, <laughs> you know what? Maybe goodwill triumph over evil. <laughs> yeah. It's just that Leia comes to the dark side in this comic, I think. Yeah. She does get the full... She almost gets, like, rings around her eyes. Yeah, the yellow. eyes. That we've been seeing from Luke throughout. Yeah. And she doesn't like, ever seem ah. convinced at all by this. He keeps saying things, and she goes, no, this is for Jedi. You're not a Jedi. And he goes, well, actually, I'm in charge of all the Jedi. And he goes, no, you, you kind of kill all the Jedi. Like, it's really clear that you're not a Jedi. <laughs> yeah. And then he monologues until the point where he has just pissed her off. Like, <laughs> yeah, ever getting any foothold on her, really. Like, I'm not even sure if he's supposed to be a Sith in this, like, understanding, like... It's just pure evil. Did yeah, did, yeah. Did did Sith like the name Sith originally comes from the novelization of A New Hope? Okay. Mm. Um, but we didn't really Let know what it was. That his name that is was called Darth. a Lord of the Sith. Uh huh. I mean, I don't think I don't think Darth Darth Sidious happens until prequels, right? No, it most certainly does not. Yeah. Mm. So this is a thing where like these concepts of structures within the sith aren't really defined yet they're just evil dudes with magic pretty much yeah not not jedi jedi does like jedi does seem to be distinctive from evil uh force users right uh and then he's very he's very angry that she stole his holocron and and somehow surprised somehow he's surprised (laughs) yeah i just i cannot imagine what was going like for a man who's so smart and evil and macgyving like so many machinations in this guy's head and he thought i'm going to possess your unborn child wasn't gonna piss her off and make her steal the you know why sacred artifact you just handed her why is overconfidence is his weakness maybe maybe that seems reasonable that's a that reasonable i guess yeah i'd say that's the only thing so we'll speed through him. here real quick luke convinces leia that he is the man on the inside he's filled r2's data banks with data on the world devastators he wants to send that out with leia and han han and chewbacca get sprung from their jail cell by by shug and sala who blast a hole in the wall with the probe droid that they now control question mark question mark profit 
and they get out. I think very importantly within this conversation between Luke and Leia, every single panel that Luke is in, he has blue eyes. Yeah, you're right. It is... Oh yeah, there's another thing is she restores his his light side points whenever she hangs out with him. He, he yeah. What, doesn't he say um, that he was losing himself? It's good yes. you came to this. Your Jedi power added to mine has helped break the grip of the dark side. Yeah. yeah, so he's like he's like getting possessed every time that he hangs out on Biss for a little while, and when she comes back, he literally comes back to being Luke again because he's no longer a thrall of Sidious. And he goes, "Okay, actually, while I was possessed, I was doing the plan well enough. We can continue." Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, he he sends R two back with them with the plans. Well, he agrees to go with even. Uh, Leia convinces him to come oh. with. Oh, uh, yeah. To escape altogether. Uh, Han, Han is pissed off to see uh, the traitor back among them, but Leia. Yes, saw, the traitor. Sala, throw me a blaster. <laughs> yeah. And she dies. And she does. I don't know what he thinks he's going to do with the blaster, but seeing how that went last time. I would say that Han is a man of principles, and the principles are blast anything odious. <laughs> yeah, I love He responds the same way to everything. It's so good. I feel like he. Funny enough, I I don't feel like I would have if I were to try to write Han Solo. I feel like it'd be hard, but the comics do such a good job. Is every time he's consistent, he is the same Han from the movies. Every time I go, oh yeah, that is exactly what he does. Every time I'm reading these, I'm like, yeah, I could I could read that in his voice. It sounds just like him. Yeah, I love it. Luke actually stayed on Biss. It's just an apparition of him that followed Leia onto the Falcon. In yeah. fact, Luke has unfinished business. He confronts the Emperor. He's going to destroy all of the clone bodies. Uh, and he yes. almost does, except for one. Oh, something real cool, going back on as far as technical art stuff, um, yes. for him, like, disapparating, um, yeah. when it turns out that that was just a Force clone that he sent with them, which is also something he could do now, by the way. Um, it just, I would call just it an apparition. That, that goes on his... Yeah. I, I was like... Yeah, I'm just saying... What he does in The Last Jedi... Yeah, it's yeah. Oh, oh, yes, yes, he does. He does. Having read this now, it seems very clear that the sequel trilogy that we ended up with, for the most part, ended up ripping the biggest plot points. Uh, I think from this, which honestly uh, justifies a lot of decision making in the prequel or in the sequel trilogy to me. Reading this and going, oh, okay, they did take kind of the wacky plot points and kind of leave some of the style, but there's a lot of good style in the sequel trilogy. So. See, I have an alternative stance, which is I believe that all of the plot elements that occurred in both Dark Empire and the sequel trilogy happened entirely by accident. I think it is mostly coincidental, quite honestly. I doubt that they read this. That's my take. Yeah, I, 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 I really don't think there was there's. I don't think there was that many people in the room who... I who can't imagine that J.J. Abrams read this, but maybe he did. Like, you're working on a feature film with one of the biggest budgets of all time. Like, someone is doing some research on other things that have been written for this point in time in Star Wars. Like, there's no I'm way no one has done that. I'm not convinced that's true. Based no, on there's no way. That, like, I think... I think the way that these things ended up going is that it was such confusion where we had a million different concepts floating about and we can choose which ones. I don't think there's any way that they didn't have pitches for no, every one of the major nothing stories. In seven, nothing in seven feels like this. I I do agree. I, I feel uh, seven is kind of doing its own thing. But seven, seven, is, seven is just a new hope. I don't think saying something like there being a, well, there's a the first order shows up. I don't think that's particularly original, um, or even 
I don't. I don't think maybe Luke addendum. I think eight and nine. While I think, while I think Luke being an apparition happens in both of these things, I don't think that particularly means that uh, they got the idea from here. I think it's just something that I wasn't saying that part specifically. The apparition. I think oh, yeah, I just... know. I'm just saying that it's like one of that's one of these other things. That I think it's just a coincidence, and I, I think similarly to, to to Palpatine coming back, I, it's just I just don't think. That's. I think it's more of a coincidence. I don't think it's a crazy idea that 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 Palpatine could come back. And then right? you say, "Well, how to do it? Uh, transferring his essence through clones, I guess." Yeah, and this is the original post trilogy story. Like, there's no way that no one was aware of this when they wrote the same plot. I mean, I, I haven't read this, but I'm well aware of this story. Like, I mean, yeah. this has been clowned on for literally decades for being the oh the empire the emperor is just back because clones right like this is this is an infamous plot point i don't think anyone who's like making star wars let alone like involved in star wars lore isn't going to be aware of this yeah i'm way more cynical than that but we're gonna have to move on uh stylistically i think it's really cool painting the negatives of him that's uh why yeah you're right he goes in there's the clones Uh, at least one of them has to survive for palpatine to reincarnate in it this is something I'm confused uh, about because he claims he can transfer his essence into anybody, but anybody, at no yeah. point does he attempt yes. to. Yeah. Well, he does. He, well, I know. I guess he tries to touch the unborn baby or something. I don't know. I don't remember. This yeah. I, I'm willing to give it here. The best body available is one of his clones because they're for purpose sure. made for this. And then, uh, so as long as he's got one of them, he's got the ideal body. Um, and he's right next to one of his in case of emergency lightsabers that are in case of emergency break glass for lightsaber. <laughs> he's got three of them sitting around, but then later on he's pretty distracted. So I can understand him not having time to look for uh, a good body because the whole reason of him dying is that he's too distracted by good power. Potentially contentious, but in return of the yes. Jedi, he says, take your Jedi weapon, strike me down. Like almost implying that he's like too powerful to even bother with swords. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not in, not in this. In this, he just hands Luke's ass to him in a lightsaber duel. Oh yeah, he's a, he's a brand new man. He's he, he's huge, and of course he's not going to kill. Would Luke you call here. him Swalpatine? He, he still has. <laughs> Do you say what? Swalpatine. Swalpatine, maybe, maybe. So he so he seems born born like middle aged. It looks like. For comparing with how old he ends up by the end of this, uh, he looks uh, like he he's like in his twenties, but with the world's most insane widow's peak, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, peak. he really looks like Dracula by the end. That's yeah. the goal, I think. Yeah, which thematically is pretty on point, actually. Uh, but he's decided <laughs> he's he's not killing Luke. It is time to submit to the dark side. I will break you. Now get up. We're going to find your sister. I want my holocron and I want your sister's child. I'm going to crush the rebellion <laughs> once and for all. So he's, he, he knows his goals now. He's done. He's done playing around. Uh, Luke has turned to the dark side and he still cannot beat Palpatine. And Palpatine would just reincarnate anyways, even if he killed him. Yeah. So we, we still have like the dark side has not offered that solution to Luke. So we're at a dark place going into chapter six final issue y'all want to comment real quickly on the ridiculous amphibious battle happening as the rebels try to board the world devastators i love these dudes i want this as a movie i want i just want i just want more um grounded (laughs) soldiers on ground war stories for you want rebel amphibious marines a star wars story just just go watch rogue one again yeah i I probably will (laughs) 
I love the like combination of grappling hooks and jetpacks as they board the World Devastators, get into a firefight with some stormtroopers, and then get told, "Oh, by the way, um, we have the codes for the World Devastators. We're self-destructing them now. Get up, get back off. <laughs> get out! <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. So, so the codes immediately get beamed in, and these things are dead in the water, just floating there because uh, R two has set all this coding coding work that Luke has done because uh, I guess he's a coder. All that experience with uh, moisture. You can program I mean, moisture evaporators, I think. Yeah, so so he can he can hack military hardware. The dark side powers are flowing through him. So so he just turns these things off. But the crew on board of these things, they go, well, well I, I would prefer not to die. Can we get any power? And they can keep it printing uh, weapons. So they're printing now uh, water speeders. These crazy catamarans. And they seem to be working, so that's cool. Yeah, we get a wacky boat battle on Mon Calamari. As oh, it should be. place to do it. Man, Kit Fisto would have loved it here. <laughs> the big smile. And then we get our beautiful <laughs> yeah. R2 and 3PO moment. <laughs> Thank the maker, R2. I knew you could do it. You saved the day. Next panel. Page oh, I've never been so insulted in my life. And to think I, it was I who told them about your grand plan. We get like the- Actually, sir, I believe R2 is having delusions of grandeur before <laughs> they execute this plan. R2 is an even better coder than Luke. Uh gives us a code now to just make the Devastators ram into each other. So they uh, do yeah. that. Demolition Derby. Devastator Derby. Devastator Derby. <laughs> Devastation. They're eating, they're eating each other. They're blowing up. So that solves that a problem. Leia uh, convenes with Bodo Boss, the gatekeeper of the Holocron, and he's got a, he's got a prophecy for this exact moment that was uh, you know recorded a thousand years ago. Um, there's going to be a brother and sister born to walk the sky, etc., etc., etc. You know, it all rhymes. It's nice. This guy's got to have so many legacies in that dome. <laughs> right like one, how one many, like every occasion how many prophecies are there is like like how many prophecies per year are there is my guess is my question i'm saying i'm saying there's gonna be a ton it's not like it's just like recording recording rhymes and, and writing rhymes for like every <laughs> for the next <laughs> based yeah. on a vision of the jedi like, hey, hey bodo yeah. we need you to do another 15 tonight <laughs> yeah i'm telling you all Amit's extras at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant in uh, the prequel trilogy. Those guys, they, they they don't do all the fighting. We we get to put a name to all the guys who do the fighting. The other guys are predicting the future. They're writing they're writing poems and uploading their brains to holocrons. Incredible. That's all I'm saying. That's fun. But yeah, is the prophecy nerds? The prophecy nerds have have all this. Jedi Academia is just like prophets writing writing ridiculous. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, sonnet. yeah. Yeah, to like in, instead of like doing a war to become a Jedi Knight or to become a master, like to get your masters in prophecies, you gotta like turn the tide of a war ten thousand years from now, and then I have a master's in prognostic prognosticatory studies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then they give you one of those squishy chairs in the Jedi Council room. I love the squishy chair. <laughs> give me like a uh, Jedi so, bag chair. So we get a really big star destroyer. I love this thing. You said it was Eclipse, right, Zave? The Eclipse. The Eclipse, yeah. It's a good name. It's stronger than other Star Destroyers because it's black. I was going to say, yeah. And it's bigger. <laughs> yeah. Not and only is it bigger, but it gets a... I, I do really like the uh, the narrow into... It narrows into like verticality, which is just yeah. really cool. I think yeah, it's a great, instead it's a great of... 
tapering to a point at the forward tip, the forward tip actually extends down into a a spike. Yeah. I'd say, I think this is my number three Star Destroyer. After (laughs) the... Is uh, is the executor and the top? I mean, the, the imperial class are just the best. Like, oh, okay. Uh, it's nailed. Everything else loses a lot of design points for being uh, really, really derivative. Every other star destroyer. <laughs> I really like the star destroyer from the Force Awakens. I was gonna say the yeah, the Force Awakens one is really good. Anyway, with uh, yet another massive weapon of war, the Emperor will surely prevail. Yes. Of course. No, actually it doesn't matter because we're beyond that point. Like the world devastators are are done for. We we're now moving on to the spiritual section of this media and we get an announcement uh, all across everywhere. Big big announcement from the the emperor himself. He says, uh, "Don't fight me. You'll lose. Send Leia and send the holocron. Uh, I want my unborn baby. I want my holocron. I'm sending a shuttle." Put him in there or I'll be angry. He actually has the gall to say, leaders of the Rebel Alliance, I have no quarrel with you. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty great. Leave my notice, honestly. But I, I feel like, th- I think as a galactic ruler with a rebellion against you, <laughs> like, of course you don't have a quarrel with them. They have the quarrel with you. That's, that's how it's <laughs> Like, are you daft? <laughs> <laughs> They're the ones who declared the war dubby. Ah. Uh... So Leia agrees. She goes, she doesn't bring the holocron, does she? Yeah, she, he says, where's my holocron? I don't have it. I've come for my brother. Oh, okay. So, yeah, she did not bring it. Palpatine makes a play. Um, he says the Emperor's evil hand touches Leia. But he's, like, repulsed by, like, a bolt of energy. Yeah. Which yeah. I interpreted to be, like, the latent, like, super high force powers of Anakin Solo as yet unborn. It is like coming from her from her tummy. Yeah, it's like 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 his like pure like innocent latent power. Yeah, that's my that was yeah. My there read. there definitely is magic that comes in Western media from uh from a mother for sure. Mm. Um, if if we are to draw from Christianity again, uh, oh yeah, maybe like a uh a, a Mary figure, and that she has magic of her own in being good and a mother. Sure. But it, but it is it is Harry Potter level of explanation for blasting the big bad by power of I'm a mother. That is literally the answer from Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. Never explained. Never explained in that story. Not That's neither okay. in this one. Maybe maybe more things will come up later. What? That's okay with true? me with Harry Potter. I, I don't. Oh know. sure. It. Uh, yeah. The, the, the I, I'm not too worried about that. that explanation. So now. We are sure that we have to fight him full out, but there's two of them. There's two of them this time, and I'm sorry, there are three Skywalkers. Oh yes, yes. We left Han behind, though. He doesn't. He doesn't add to the spirit bomb at all. He doesn't <laughs> add to the spirit bomb. Yes. So the Emperor trying to leverage Leia and Luke's empathy for their friends and allies summons another force storm to destroy the rebel fleet. And this one, instead of being blue, is red. That's true, it is. Yeah, that's the same color as the World Devastator's maws were. That's right. It's yeah. the return if of the giant right mouth anything. the giant mouth motif. 
Yeah, I'm much more okay with the giant force storm coming here in order to swallow an entire fleet rather than the just zorping him halfway to the, <laughs> the zorping just Luke and a bunch of junk, which is just bizarre. Uh, Luke this time with the power of Leia just kind of gazing on, actually is getting the better of uh, Palpatine. Just cuts off his hand, right? Which is always significant in a Star Wars story. Do you think Leia's doing like? I mean. Uh adding a name to what she's doing here later but like uh battle meditation is right what they oh, it's kind know. of the vibe that's an interesting she's, point i mean she's like latently buffing luke battle meditation like, is something that is invented for tales of the jedi which comes um shortly after dark empire yeah okay yeah i'm not sure like i think uh through like the um stated not out loud bit of like design it kind of feels like like that kind of motif in movies where you uh, show an active scene and then you just kind of fade in another character, like sometimes with like them giving you words of wisdom to give your main character like a resurgence of power as they remind they're reminded of what they're fighting for. Because she keeps like appearing kind of in the background over Luke's shoulder, just kind of with like a, a, a yeah. white glow behind well, she her. Has, she has that, yeah, yeah like the white outline. Yeah, exactly. so so maybe she literally is doing something and standing there uh menacingly or maybe this is a um an implied action that she's not literally there kind of like how um almost like how montage is a it's not literally happening but it's it's adding something to the scene yeah well okay wait uh listen to me leo we can stop him i've read his dark books according to his own word he is awakening chaos even he can't control join your jedi power to mind leia and then she says i already have so that, I guess that's, where, that's where that's where i interpreted that i think it, i yeah. guess the way i interpreted that is that this entire time she has been helping him yeah the core yeah, yeah, here, I, definitely, I definitely think she's adding power the core here is that um we hear again and again throughout this story how Luke feels he has to face the dark side in order to alone. understand it and defeat it. And he goes alone. And that's paralleled with how Darth Vader fell to the dark side. And it's paralleled with the story of Yulik Queldroma, who was a Jedi who lived 4,000 years in the past. One of the main characters, the Tales of the Jedi comic that we'll read soon. And all of them tried to defeat the dark side on their own. It didn't work. Mm. So this is where Zachary says, this is the power of friendship. Yeah. Yes, it, it is a power uh, power of love story, uh, or at least um, ending to the story. I, I do like this this way of approaching Luke's kind of fall to the dark side better than like the OT or sequel trilogy as well, mm. where it feels like it's actually founded in something. Because we we do this with Luke consistently since in uh, Empire Strikes Back. That's like his character arc that we're given. Other than being uh, like the good guy, uh, chosen one, he is a chosen one who like is tempted to fall in empire strikes back but this time instead of it just being like hey you want to join up and he goes hmm i don't know maybe i should be emo about it <laughs> this one, he, he goes well i need to understand my father and i need to vanquish evil and i need to prove that i can do it on my own and to be better and more good than vader was right and uh they talk about that a parallel as well while they're dueling Palpatine pulls out the Force Lightning, gives him a little zap while telling him about how how terrible his father was. And he goes, actually, I had to total power on him. You're just like your dad. Uh, I, I get to make you evil, and you don't get to beat me. I will say, having recently completed a graduate degree, the phenomenon of 
trying to face down some some sort of massive uh, <laughs> massive pressure on your own, uh, mm. um, and then realizing that the only way you're going to get through it is with the support of your loved ones. Yeah, <laughs> it does have resonance for me at the moment. Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the best themes in Star Wars as a whole. Is uh the, the oneness of the good. And also, I just noticed this. I don't know how I did notice this before, but in this panel with uh, Luke and Leia, right, and they're like sitting there, and you've got like the "do or do not." There is no try. The the Yoda quotes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, over Leia's belly oh, yeah. again is this full light. It's, yeah. Yeah, the glowing light-powered goodness of the unborn. Yeah. Uh, Anakin Solo. And so while Palpatine is using all of his powers on his most powerful spell in order to destroy the whole uh, fleet with a force storm, they just uh, fully mind meld with the power of the force uh, and the power of themselves as uh, the chosen ones. And uh, they just they just blast him with the force of good. And while he's screaming in agony from the good, he's distracted. And now his force storm turns against him and rips apart his fancy new Star Destroyer. It did not last long. No. No. No, it was pretty cool, and though. It's very <laughs> cool. It does, it does eclipse that planet uh, from the shot that we get of it, which looks so good. And the two of them, the, the battles, the physical battles at this point are so, so minimal that it's one line of text that they battle their way through the Star Destroyer to find themselves uh, shuttled in order to escape, which they do. Yeah, the battle happened in the spiritual realm, not a temporal one. Yeah. Well, congratulations. The power of good prevailed. Yes. Yes! Punch in the air. (laughs) (laughs) And then that's it. That's that. Well, not quite it, because as Luke points out, they have children little little jedi baking baking in the womb they have a holocron a teacher uh, of ancient jedi ways uh he says the jedi knights will rise again yeah and oh boy will it be a massive number of of books (laughs) (laughs) what is it like 19 books in the new jedi order what doesn't doesn't just pan out well you'll never guess what happens to jubaka Guess what happens to Chewbacca? Find out next time. Find out next time on Star Wars. You've been listening to Arc Troopers Unite. Our main theme, Doom Troopers Unite, and our interstitial theme, Yesterday, were composed by Nathan and Owen Lamont for the computer game Ares.